Today, it's time for a brand new segment of Ask Rachel on the show. And I got some great questions this week. We dive into relationship dynamics on this episode of the show. Particularly, we talk about how to navigate living with a partner or a loved one or a spouse that lives life differently than you do. What do you do if your partner wants to eat completely different foods than you do, or if they live a lifestyle that doesn't completely align with your own? We also talk about navigating life postpartum, how to find our purpose in life, and I say that with some air quotes, and how we can turn that around toward finding a purpose in the day today, bringing kindness toward ourselves, and really how to take care of ourselves in a very transitional time of our lives. At the end of the show, we also get into some gardening questions and how to source your food locally. It was a really fun episode to record. Mothers deserve the absolute best. So this Mother's Day, spoil the moms in your life with little luxuries from Osea. Osea's skin and body care is the perfect way to remind all the moms, mother figures, caregivers, grandmothers, and mother-in-laws in your life to make time for themselves. If you have been looking for the perfect gift, I recommend Osea's Andaria Algae Body Oil. I've been using it for years, and it seems like every single time I apply it, I get compliments on my skin. This body oil is rich, but it's never greasy, and it's clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity. Your skin will feel more sculpted and toned, and you'll be left feeling silky, soft, and glowing. Another favorite of mine is the Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Ever since I've been using collagen, I have noticed a difference in in my skin. In fact, it's never been better. Using Osea's body oil and lotion together is a mega moisture duo, giving you a full body glow. Osea's products are infused with their signature Andaria seaweed, but it's also clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. Really just a perfect gift for yourself, the moms in your life, and even the planet. Spoil the moms in your life with clean, vegan skin and body care from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with the code YOGA at oseamalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to oseamalibu.com and use the code YOGA for 10% off. Hello, everyone. How are you? Welcome back to the show. I am sitting here on this very, very cold November day. I just finished writing this month's letter from the heart. I don't think I've shared that on the podcast, but once a month I have a little a little love note that goes from me to you that could land straight in your inbox where basically I just share what's on my heart, just a little bit of little bit of wisdom around this particular month and what to expect for the season and I really focus this letter on how to align our inner workings and our day-to-day lives with the changing of the seasons how to really live that rhythm with that rhythm of nature which I find can be a little bit challenging I don't know for me having lived a decade and a half not having seasons it's almost like I'm getting used to the seasons again. I'm remembering the seasons again. And this season is teaching me so much. This month is a big teacher for me in many ways. 
So yeah, if you want that little letter in your inbox from me to you every single month, I also share some free yoga practices and every month the astrological insight of the month. There's always a journaling prompt. It's just like a little bit of goodness in your inbox. You can go to yogagirl.com slash newsletter. It's that simple yogagirl.com slash newsletter if you want to sign up for that. But yeah, I just spent some time there just writing from the heart. I love being in the rhythm of writing, um, which I've been out of for quite some time. Just the rhythm. And I used to have that rhythm really through social media, mainly. I've always been journaling and so just on my own. But my big outlet was always writing these big heartfelt things of yeah, whatever was on my mind and in my heart and I would share on Instagram. And I have stopped doing that almost entirely. Just once in a blue moon, I get inspired to do that. But for me, the the platform of Instagram has changed so much. I don't really feel like it's my forum for heart opening anymore, which is, yeah, a little bit sad. It used to be so precious. It used to be, at least for me, I always felt like it was a really safe space to be vulnerable and to to open up. And now, yeah, past couple years, really, I haven't had that feeling. And probably, you know, that's how this podcast even began is I wanted something that was more with more depth. And um, I'm really happy I get to sit here and do this every week. But um, yeah, it's nice to be in that rhythm of, of writing. I really, I really, really enjoy that. And I've missed that. And I'm feeling today, <laughs> the the big feeling I'm feeling today is tired. I'm just, we've had kind of a big week over here, a very emotional week, some things I am not ready to share right now, but just some things shifting and changing and some things we're struggling with. And I, this week I felt like I've been just pulled in a hundred different directions all at once, just trying to figure so many things out. And today I woke up just, yeah, you can probably hear it in my voice, just tired. So I have uh, curled up here in my little podcast chair with a cup of tea or a cup of raspberry leaf and verbena that I'm drinking right now. And I'm really happy I get to talk to you. Today, actually, which I find is really great timing, is it's time for Ask Rachel, which I I just adore. I love. I love this little segment. So if you've never heard it before, it's you sending in little voice clips of questions or anything you have on your heart. And we play them here on the show. And I haven't heard them before. I always play them for the very first time just here while I'm sitting here with a recorder on. And uh, and I just, just answer. It really, for me, feels more in depth, like a conversation. I really, I love hearing your questions. I love hearing your voices. And I really love recording these episodes. So I have no idea what's in store for us today. Let's, um, yeah, let's take our first question. Hi, Rachel. Um, I have a question about um, the differences, if there are any, between um, diet and lifestyle choices um, between you, yourself and Dennis. Um, have you guys had any relationship issues um, because of your lifestyle diet choices? Were you both always vegan? Um, and I'm wondering how this transition to 
um, eating meat and, and dairy and, and moving away from veganism has affected your relationship, if it has at all. And I'm really curious how you guys have navigated those changes as a couple, if you've run into any issues and how you have resolved that. Thanks. Thank you. I was, uh, I was, I'm definitely expecting some, some questions around diet and lifestyle for this episode since it's been such a, just such a open and current topic over the past couple of weeks here. We have definitely struggled with this on and off in our relationship. And what I'm realizing or what I have realized, it took me a while to realize, but especially, yeah, a couple of years ago, the big issue really um, around this, around any tension that we had around food or any differentiator in our lifestyles, any like the, the core central issue was me <laughs> and my judgment of him. And this, of course, really came along with it, it, was, it was particularly challenging during my peak vegan years, which was a long time ago now. It was really in the beginning when I kind of revived my veganism that I started becoming very active and more of an activist in that area. And I just had a really hard time with Dennis eating anything else, which really, when it, when it comes down to it, is, is none of my business. And I've really, it, you know, over the past couple of years, I've completely, I, I completely stopped that, that side of veganism, even though I stayed vegan for a, for, for a few years. But it's been a long time since I was that kind of vegan activist, tr trying to change people's minds, or even talking about food. I stopped doing years ago, because it creates such tension. It's not fun. It's the last thing anybody wants is to sit around a dinner table with judgment coming from one person. There is a time, of course, for these kinds of discussions, and it's important to have discussions around whatever you find meaningful and important. But the dinner table, I find, just is the worst possible place. People are going to be um, more triggered and have a harder time, you know, in those active moments when we're actually eating what's on our plate. And it just ruins the night. So, yeah, I'm really glad I moved away from that fairly quickly. But before I did... When I became vegan, after having kind of fallen out of veganism a little bit, I became that hardcore vegan again, right after I had Leia. And, uh, and I felt immediately, like I had this awakening here around food. All of a sudden, this was like, I changed, you know, because I was eating some, some dairy. I think it was, yeah, I was eating mainly like some cheese and stuff. And Dennis was always eating whatever Dennis was eating, which was everything like he's always been just an omnivore um he's been very junk food centered his whole entire life because that's how he grew up that was his his childhood and when i decided i'm going to be a hardcore vegan now it's like you need to be that too and that is such an awful thing to say you know it's it's a big thing to impose on another human being and I wish I wasn't so judgmental toward him and so adamant about this life choice that I have made for me is also for you. Because in hindsight, it it actually wasn't for him, particularly, I think, for him removing fish from his diet, which is really was his center of his diet his whole entire life. It was the center of his parents, you know, on his mother's side, all the native, the native of Ruben's side, the indigenous side of his family. It's been the center of their diet for generations. 
And he immediately felt like something was lacking for him around the fish. And I wish I hadn't been so kind of pushy around it. But what happened naturally, it was I was the one cooking. And that's also his choice. You know, I was the one cooking. I've always been the one who cooks at home. So of course, I have a I have a say around what I'm going to cook. I'm not going to make myself a vegan meal and then cook steak for him. You know, of course not. So what happened in the beginning there was just gradually he became he started eating more and more vegan foods kind of naturally just because that's what I was cooking at home. And for a while, and this used to trigger me so much, <laughs> I would like spend time curating this beautiful vegan meal and he would literally put like a slab of ribs on top <laughs> or like a tuna steak on the side or sit down with a bucket of chicken wings, you know, next to me, like things like that, that would just really trigger me, not just because of the vegan thing, but also because I felt like he wasn't appreciating the food I was, I was cooking and, you know, so we had some friction around there until he became vegan, basically, until he just became more and more and more vegan. And then he had a, a moment, you know, of his own where he decided, okay, I'm going to make this shift now. And in the beginning felt really, really great about that. And one of the things that was really great was that all the tension went away, right? Like all of a sudden we're, we're aligned in our viewpoints, we're aligned in what we want to put in our bodies, we're aligned in the kitchen. It became just so much easier and so smooth. And I wasn't kind of like badgering him about it anymore. You know, it became like an easygoing energy all of a sudden, which of course made a huge impact. And then we ate the same, you know, for all of the past years we've been eating in that way. And of course, you know, and I can really like, it's not like I'm looking at myself at that time and I'm, uh, you know, feeling ashamed or really judging myself for being that way. Like I can see, I, can, I know how I got to that place. You know, I, I, I know I had really good intentions. I genuinely thought that was the best diet for him and the best for his health and the best thing for the world. So I was kind of righteous, you know, like a lot of vegans are righteous in that way. And I know better. But that's a really crappy position to put yourself in ever around anything. We talked about this in the last episode of Ask Rachel when someone asked a similar question around partnership and having a different kind of lifestyle, but it was more around spirituality and doing healing work. Like how do you live with a partner that isn't in the same place as you are, you know, on the healing journey. And with food, I find it's very similar with all areas of life. Anytime we put ourselves in a position of righteousness, saying, I know more about you and what's best for you than you do, that is a place that's just inevitably going to cause friction. And I think approaching a conversation or entering a relationship dynamic with that righteous energy, that's going to cause much more trouble than the actual difference in lifestyle ever would, if that makes sense. So I think that time of friction that Dennis and I had, it was much worse and made worse from my righteousness, from me trying to change him, even though he wasn't ready to change and he didn't want to change from me putting myself in that place of like, I'm better than you, or I know more, which just this isn't true. We, we, you know, it's, it's not true. It's not kind. It's not a good place to be in a relationship. So the friction I find came from there 
more than the fact that he wanted to add another kind of protein to the plate when we were eating dinner or if we went to restaurants, he would order something different than me. That wasn't really the core issue. The core issue there was the friction I created from not accepting him the way he was. So, of course, there's a, and this is for all choices that we make, of course, there is a loving, kind way to nudge someone closer to health, to nudge someone towards something that we find very inspiring and positive. But if there is immediate resistance there, you know, the other person isn't open to that, then we have to turn around and come back to ourselves and look at our own lives, right? What is it about this situation that that makes this so important to me, you know? What is it inside of me that feels like it's my job to make decisions for them or that it's up to me to decide how they live their lives? Like, what is this? For me, it's a lot about this controlling side I've had of myself all my whole life where I want to kind of rescue people. I want to be the savior of people. I love fixing people, even people who don't need fixing, right? Even when it's not my job to do the fixing. I've always, it's an old trauma response from my childhood. I'm just, it's part of my conditioned personality, right? It's not really who I am, but it's part of my, um, it's a personality trait that I picked up in childhood. So for me, it's very self-serving to be in any position where I feel like I know more And I'm going to guide you over here to my path, which is the best path, because I get to continue to play out that role that I played when I was little. Is it helpful? No. (laughs) Is it loving? No. Is it the right thing? No. So anytime we find ourselves deeply obsessed, you know, or really triggered by other people's life choices, that says everything about us and where we are in life, and not as much about the other person as we think it is. Actually, it's it's less about them and so much more about me. So, of course, wherever that takes us, we don't know. Does it take us, does it take us deeper toward a place of acceptance, you know, which is a big spiritual practice, expe- accepting people for who they are? Or does it take us toward a place of, hey, my life doesn't align with this person's lifestyle at all? And I'm triggered and upset every time we sit down for dinner, you know, do I want that in my life? Then our choice is to make a change for us, which could be leaving that relationship, accepting it for what it is, or changing something in us, right? Those are the options we have, but we can't change them. And it's really futile to to try. And I think probably very harmful for the relationship too. So I, I don't know if this was helpful, but um, <laughs> live and let live, right? I, I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of, of letting people have their own autonomy, make their own choices, and really also trust, trusting the wisdom of other people. That's something that took me a while to, to really understand, that every time I put myself in a place where, hey, I need to save or fix or rescue you, I'm taking a lot of trust away in that relationship. I'm telling them, I don't trust you to take care of yourself. I don't trust you to do life your way, you know. And that creates a really strange energy in the relationship and also can really disempower a person and put us in these dynamics that we want to move away from, you know. 
we want someone to take charge of their lives and get out there and like do the thing. But then we keep acting in a way that takes their power away. You know, so we're kind of enabling the same behavior we think we want to change in a sense. So yeah, <laughs> big question. I know it's a hard one, but for me anyway, letting people live the way they want to live, I think is the path forward. Sometimes in life, skepticism can serve you well. It can save you money, keep you from wasting a day at a timeshare presentation, and help you avoid spreading gossip. To be honest, when I'm faced with a new scenario, I usually tend to be a skeptic until something proves me wrong. And if you're like me, you can probably spot a too-good-to-be-true health hack from a mile away and read labels like it's your job. That's where ritual comes in. They know that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds your standards. Their clinically backed Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin has high quality, traceable key ingredients in clean bioavailable forms. Take two delayed release capsules per day that optimize your body's absorption and you'll get nine key nutrients. Rituals Essential for Women is USP verified, so you know you can trust what you're putting in your body. Only about 1% of supplement brands on the market have the USP verified mark, which shows the product contains the ingredients actually listed on the label. On top of that, Ritual multivitamins are vegan, non-GMO project verified, gluten and major allergen free, certified B Corp and made traceable. I take my vitamins every morning with breakfast. It's part of my daily ritual and I feel so good doing it. No more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash yoga girl. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash yoga girl for 25% off. Hey, Rachel, it's Erica from Memphis, Tennessee. I have been listening to you for several years now, and I just want to say I really appreciate your authenticity and just hearing you grow. Um, it's really, it's really helpful for me because I'm in a in a place of growth and change myself. And my question is kind of silly, but I thought it was it was kind of fun. I'm having a superhero yoga kids class this Saturday. And to the questions I'm asking them is, what is their favorite superhero and why? And if they could have any superpower, what would it be? So that's what I'm going to ask you. Um, what would, what is your favorite superhero and why and what superpower would you have if you could have any superpower in the world? I wish you all the light and love. Namaste. Oh, hi, Erica. What a sweet, <laughs> fun question. And it sounds like a really, really cute class. Every year at our studio in Aruba, Jess, our main teacher there, teaches a Halloween yoga class where all the kids get to dress up. And taking Leah there for the past couple of years has been such a joy. It was one of the things I really missed this year. Um, it was the first time yeah, of her life, basically, that she didn't have a Halloween kids yoga class, which is so fun. On the question of superheroes, I, I'm, I feel like I'm a little embarrassed to say I am not in the superhero world. I 
haven't watched any of the Marvel movies. <laughs> I barely, I don't think I did at all actually read any comic books or anything when I was little. My brother did, like he was into Spider-Man and, and stuff like that. And I just, yeah, the one movie I've seen, so I guess that's the only way, you know, and I'm guessing you're asking like real superheroes, like like in the Marvel like world, you know, or comic book world. I saw Wonder Woman. <laughs> so obviously I'll have to say Wonder Woman, but I'm just, yeah, I'm just, and neither is Dennis. We're just not into those movies. I don't know. I don't know why. It's just not our thing. But if I had a superpower, and this is fun because we just talked about this around the dinner table, Dennis, Leah, and I, if I had a superpower, I've always known what I wanted to do. And it's, I don't know if this is a weird one or not, but I would want to speak every language of the world. That's always been my thing since I was little. Like I want to speak every language of the whole world. I would like to go to any country and be able to understand people in their language and communicate with them in their local language. I've always had that weird yearning and longing. And for a while, I really thought I would be one of those people. I'm going to learn 10 languages fluently. And um, I mean, I'm still, I still have time. So maybe I'll get there. Probably not every language in the world, but maybe I'll get to add a couple more languages to my, to my book. But yeah, that would be my superpower wish. Yeah, fun question. Okay, let's take another one. Hi, Rachel. My name is Marie, and I wanted to ask you for some relationship advice. You've been with Dennis for such a long time, and it seems as though you do have a really good, healthy relationship. And I wanted to ask for your opinion. I've been with my partner now for a couple years, and I love him very much, but we have very different habits. He enjoys drinking a lot more than I do. He also enjoys smoking a lot more than I do. And it has been getting me triggered lately. And I'm trying to know if I should just work on myself and I'm not being triggered or if I should not be in a relationship where someone doesn't take care of themselves. I wanted to ask what you would do if you would be with Dennis, if he smoked and drank a lot or if you feel like that would affect your family and the environment that you want to raise your kid in. Well, thank you so much, and I hope to hear the podcast soon. Thank you. Oh, wow. So a second question that's really uh, similar to one we already had. And I'm going to answer this one just because I, this angle of this, talking specifically around smoking and drinking, and maybe we can talk about drugs and just there's, I know there's a lot of people that, that struggle with this in relationships. We can go a little bit deeper here. First of all, you know, I think it's it's really important to distinguish a little bit just to be able to hold the fullness of what the issue is around this behavior for us. To distinguish bet between, you know, this behavior sucks. <laughs> it's just, it's unattractive for me. Um, this is not, you know, the kind of behavior that I align myself with. That is one thing. And then having behavior that actually changes the person, right, that maybe leads to something harmful or changes their behavior in a way where all of a sudden the person that you love, the person who you've chosen as your person, as your partner, where they engage in this behavior and it changes them completely, right? All of a sudden they're not who they really are anymore, and this is something that, of course, we see 
with alcohol and with drugs and cigarettes and just overall this kind of coping mechanisms that so many people turn to for a variety of reasons, right? So we can turn to alcohol to completely numb ourselves. We can turn to alcohol to bring excitement into our lives because we feel like everything is stagnant and boring. People turn to alcohol to check out completely, you know, to not have to be present. So I don't know exactly what the behavior kind of response or what the result is of drinking and smoking, what, what you see in your guy here. But I would really focus on that in terms of communication rather than, I hate that you drink, you should stop. Or, you know, smoking is really bad for you and you should stop. Approaching it from that kind of, even though it's clear and facts, like we know smoking and drinking is terrible for us. You know, it shouldn't, you shouldn't do it in excess. You shouldn't do it in this way. You shouldn't do it at all for a lot of people. That kind of just judgmental, like, please don't do this. I hate it is, is a hard place to bridge a conversation from. So what I would focus on is what is it specifically that happens when he drinks that you don't like? Right? What is the change or shift that you see in him when he drinks that makes you feel separate from him? And it's much easier to approach a conversation in a loving way from that standpoint. Like, hey, my favorite time spend with, spent with you is when I have your full presence, when I feel like you're really here with me and I get to experience the full breadth of your personality. I love you so much. I love who you are. Like, you know, your favorite moments with him that probably aren't when he's drinking, right? And when you drink, I miss that person. When you drink, I feel alone in the house. When you drink, I have a hard time reaching you. You know, when you drink, we, we don't talk like we normally talk. Like, what is it that in the effect of the drinking that changes him that, that that's hard, right? That you miss, that makes you, yeah. Like I would focus really on that because especially if it's, if there's a reluctance there, it's the same thing with the food. It's the same thing with whatever we're trying to change. He's not going to change just because you want him to, right? Just from hearing that, well, I shouldn't drink. I shouldn't smoke. It's not good. And, you know, here's this wonderful person in my life and she doesn't like that. Probably if he doesn't feel that inner motivation for himself to really shift, it's not going to happen. But what you can do is communicate in a loving way how deeply impactful this actually is. It's not just having a beer in front of the TV. Actually, it changes your entire experience of him. So that's just my just little piece of advice around approaching that conversation so that it comes from a place of longing for the positives in him and for returning to that place of deep connection and vulnerability. You know, that's a really positive approach I find versus this sucks, stop it, <laughs> you know, which just triggers most people. And and yeah, then walls come up and, and, and it's just going to be a fight instead of a, of a good talk. And then, of course, you know, it's just like I, how I answered that other question. If you get to a place where you deeply feel that this this isn't working for you and maybe you're not there right at this moment but maybe you have this creeping feeling like inevitably if there isn't a shift you are going to get to that place and that's scary to even think about you know because you love him you don't want to lose him but 
when you get to that place, if you get to that place, the choice and the change to make is up to you. It really is. And yes, there's plenty of instances where something like that happens and it triggers a shift in another person, of course. Like maybe him being faced with almost losing you, you know, actually, actually gets him to change or allows you to set some boundaries around drinking and smoking or, you know, I don't know, that you find a, a way of kind of aligning your lives that actually works for the both of you without there being resentment there. And because it's a really, it's a really big thing. I mean, ideally, we don't have to be the same kind of person. We don't have to love all the same things. And I think it's good <laughs> to have our individuality and to have our own lives in, in relationships. But if we have these fundamental key points where we are totally different, and I think this could be one of those, then you have to address them. And the sooner you do, the better, you know, so that you don't go down this path where it's just leading to a darker and a harder place. Um, and maybe this is the thing that brings you closer and the thing that inspires him to get really healthy because he wants to be that present, loving man for you and not whatever happens when he gets really drunk or, or, or drinks. And maybe not. So, of course, I don't have any answers, but... I, I think about this a lot. <laughs> I, I I struggle with this. And, I mean, and Dennis and I, we have a great relationship. We're very compatible, you know, in that way. We, we fight rarely. But my thing that I'm really working on within myself is that when I want a shift or a change, which of course in relationships is going to happen all the time. And it could be like, <laughs> it could be like, not making a mess or, you know, dirty socks on the floor, stupid things that you end up fighting about, like who's going to empty the dishwasher today, little things, you know, that come up in marriage and in relationships. I am trying really hard and actively spending time trying to share and express my gratitude and how good I feel when things are working, right? So, it's, it's very much in my personality to to kind of pick and nag and like, oh, I don't like this. And why is this happening here? And, you know, especially if I'm not in a great mood. But then when things are really great and, you know, there are no socks on the floor or, you know, he totally cleaned the kitchen. And then it's just kind of like I, I think that that's the way it should be. So then I'm often I don't say anything. And I'm focusing a lot on positive reinforcement, like. When he cooked the other day, he rarely cooks for the whole family. He cooked and I just really spent time like this was so special for me. I felt so taken care of tonight. I just loved sitting on the couch, reading my book and I love watching you in the kitchen. I felt so nourished. This food was delicious. Like I'm just spending more time lifting him up in the areas where he's so great because there is way more of those than the little areas that annoy me. But it's so easy to get stuck on what isn't working. So I'm just personally spending some time in that space. And also, if there's something that I would like to change or shift, um, how can I approach that from a vulnerable place that invites conversation, which is hard to do in the heat of the moment, you know? God damn it. Like, now all this shit's on the floor again. Like, who, who's going to pick this up? It's me. I have to pick all this stuff. You know, it's like, ugh. You go into that vibe and just... 
approaching whatever conflict you have or whatever shift you're looking to to make in a relationship from a place that actually allows for conversation because I find that most of the little fights and the bickering that we that we do it's mainly because I raised something that I feel should be different or that I don't like but I raise it from like a judgmental place like just this sucks stop doing this you know and then it's like immediate shutdown <laughs> like there's no avenue for conversation there yeah so looking you know how we fight I don't know whose quote that is um or whose book that is that like how we fight like the couples the success of a couple the long-term commitment of a couple or the ability to stay together for a long time is really found in how we fight with each other you know how we take those little day-to-day discussions and the bickering and the and the big fights as they come like how do we navigate and manage those and of course the topic you're sharing now could be a really big one right so just spend some time getting really intentional and present with how you want to bridge that conversation so that you have a greater chance of success I wish you so much love and I hope things really work out. Let's see if our next question is a coupley question too. Hey Rachel, um, this is Michelle from the U.S. I actually just had a question to ask you how you rekindled a relationship with your mom despite the toxicity. Um, I've been going through a lot of toxic toxicity with my own mother and my father just recently returned to my life after a severe accident. Um, and I'm kind of hesitant to open up and allow my children in to his life in fear of them getting hurt. So yeah, how did you overcome the toxicity from your parents to reestablish a sort of a relationship with them? Hi. Oh, this is, this is hard. (laughs) And I can really hear in your voice the, the longing, you know, to, to have that rekindling, to have that moment of healing. I mean, there's, regardless of what's happening in our relationships with our parents, and regardless of how many boundaries we set or how far away we push them, for whatever reason, there's always going to be that longing deep down of togetherness. I mean, they are our parents. And for me, the big, I I don't really talk about my parents on the, in any channel anymore. I haven't for a, for a long time, just because it, I don't want any, anymore. We've had enough drama to last us a lifetime. We've had enough fighting. We've haven't had enough trauma. Like we've had enough stuff. And uh, I got to a place where I realized I'm not, you know, helping myself or anyone by just talking about this at all. Because every time I did, it would trigger something. So it's been a while since I shared anything about this on the pod. But I feel pretty good about it now because we are in a better place, um, which means I have some more positive things to talk about, which is, which is helpful. But for me, the big shift, especially around around my mom, came when I... When I realized that it was taking more effort inside of me to keep her away, to to maintain the boundary of I don't want you in my life versus keeping it. And for a lot of years, it was effortless. For a lot of years, it was very, it was just crystal clear. 
I need the space. We are better off without being in each other in each other's lives. This was just very toxic. It's not going to heal and work itself out. You know, it was very easy to keep that boundary in place. And then all of a sudden it stopped being easy. You know, I found myself thinking about her in the day-to-day in ways that I hadn't for a long time. I found myself missing her, which really I wouldn't even allow myself to say or think, but I, I really was. And um, yeah, just those kind of thoughts and feelings were kind of creeping in and getting more and more present. And then I one day realized, like, I'm, I'm now really adamant about upholding this boundary of keeping her out of my life, even though I'm not in that need anymore. I wasn't in that urgent feeling of needing to do that anymore. So recognizing in yourself when or if, and it's a big if, doesn't have to ever happen, you know. But if, when or if we suddenly feel a shift in our needs or a shift in the kind of boundary that we want to set. And when we do, you know, that's when, of course, I'm, I'm sure you've felt this already or you wouldn't be asking yourself this question. But then the more detailed questions around, well, how would I make that work? What is the kind of relationship that that is some sort of middle ground that we could have that isn't going to trigger all of this old stuff that isn't going to put me in harm's way or put me in a place where I have to endure behavior that really is harmful for me or doesn't work for me at all. Um, and of course, and then there's kids involved, which makes it more urgent and sad and hard and scary. I mean, there's just so many things to consider. So something that I did is I, I I contemplated this a lot. I spoke to my therapist about it, to friends, to Dennis, of course. It wasn't just overnight, like, oh, I'm done with this now. Let's be in each other's lives how we were before. Like, no, I've been very, very cautious and very patient and, and made sure I'm not rushing into something because it really feels like it's it's hard to close the door again once it's open right I don't know if you recognize that feeling but that's the feeling I have is is I don't want to dive too deep into this because I'm kind of scared of, of, of what could be on the other side I, I think so what I did is I decided that I am gonna set boundaries in this relationship that are very clear and very specific to me and I'm not going to communicate them, <laughs> which I guess is like the opposite of what every boundary therapist tells you to do. But for me in my specific situation, any mention of the word boundary or of the word no or of the word this doesn't work for me just is not well received. That I think is just the trigger point and it, it, it's not well received. It doesn't take me to where I want that boundary to go, which is clarity and having my needs met right doesn't take me to that place and I realized you know and this is very true this the boundary therapist will tell you you don't need the other person involved you don't need their permission or acceptance to enforce a boundary it's actually up to you to keep that very clear and to know what you allow and what you don't allow in your life so I was able to to establish you know certain areas that I know don't work certain areas of conversation that I know don't work, certain dynamics, like doing favors for each other don't work. Like There are certain things that I just know, like this is kind of a dangerous area that can very quickly take us down a path where this relationship just doesn't work anymore. And I want it to work. I want to have 
her presence in my life. I want to be present in her life. I want Leia to have a grandma. I would love to get back to a more natural, soft, not tense, not everyone walking on eggshells, you know, um, not the kind of ingrained where like we're so enmeshed in each other's lives. We don't know where the other person ends and begins, you know, not that I'm never going back to that, but I would love to have this be more effortless, you know, and so I decided on those boundaries for myself. I didn't even have to speak them. I just knew like these are things that I will do. These are things that I won't do. If we are spending time together and the conversation goes in an area that I know is a boundary for me, I shut it down. And I'm pretty good with people <laughs> and around communication. So I've found ways to do that in a way that isn't triggering and that doesn't start a fight where I just change the topic or start talking about something else, or just shift the conversation, or sometimes even just like leave the room or do something different so that that conversation ends. And I think the energy there is pretty, it's not so subtle when I do that. So I think it's kind of an unspoken thing, I think now, where I have a boundary there and I think she understands and then, yeah, it's not pushed. Um, and just through that, through me being through me being very aware of what is okay for me and what isn't okay, then I feel safe inside of myself to step into that relationship again. I, Because it's that feeling that I had before, like I'm not safe here. I don't know where I'm going to end up. I might get hurt here. I might get dragged into something that I don't know how to get out. Like it was a, a big feeling of unsafety that I had. And what I was lacking is that was that steadiness inside of myself. And now that I have that and I know what's okay and what's not okay, and it's very clear for me, then I can enter the relationship and not feel fear. And that fear was also triggering a lot of weird stuff, right? It's like my insecurity, like, I don't know if I want you here. I don't know if this is good. I don't know if this is that whole insecurity, of course, made her feel really insecure. And then we would have weird interactions that just didn't feel natural and normal, and now I feel really steady, like I know what I need, I know who I am, I know what I don't want, and I feel steady enough that I can really withhold the boundaries that I've set for myself. And that gives me some space to relax in the relationship. And now that I'm relaxed and she relaxes, and we end up having a better time. <laughs> you know, we end up having a a more effortless time spent together. So, um, yeah, now, I mean, the where we are now, it's like we've gone from years of no contact whatsoever, years of a lot of animosity and, and drama and just bad, bad, bad things to our family group chat, you know, all together is very active, people talking, no tension, we see each other kind of like that whole side of the family like once a week or every other week, maybe two, three times a month. Leia gets to have her grandma in her life again, which she loves, adores. I mean, she's so happy about that. And um, yeah, and I think a sign of, of us being in a pretty good place is last week. So we are going to Aruba in, in a couple of weeks to spend the uh, we're going to be three weeks on the island. I'm really excited. And we were all having brunch. And uh, and after and my, my mom said, oh, you're going to Aruba. Oh, I really miss it over there. 
And I'm like, yeah, I, I, I don't, I'm, I mean, I'm starting to miss it a little bit. You know, it's getting cold and dark enough that I'm, I'm missing it a little bit. And then she texted me afterwards. She was like, hey, I just had a thought. Um, how would you feel if maybe I, I joined you there for a week? Which is a huge thing, right? For someone who hasn't, <laughs> you know, like we haven't spent that kind of time together in, in so many years. And when she asked that, my immediate like gut reaction was, yeah, that, that might be okay. And then I, I said that just like that. I'm like, I don't know how I feel. It might be a terrible idea, but it might be nice. <laughs> and I was able to say that with apprehension, with honesty, and without anything triggered in her. You know, she was like, yeah, I, I, get, I have the same feeling. Like maybe, maybe it would just be super nice. I, I don't think it's going to happen. Just tickets were hard, but that's where I am now. And that's a really big leap from where I was three years ago. <laughs> which was just very different from where I am now. And the very important thing for that I keep having to acknowledge to myself, because this is helpful for me in all of my relationships, is that I made this big journey from where I was three years ago, not wanting this person in my life ever, ever. Like I was completely, for the, I was door closed, like this is it, to where I am now. And I did that. And I was then thinking, here are all the ways in which this other person has to change, has to become a different person, has to completely change their personality. I will never be able to spend time with them or have them in my life the way they are. And now it's been three years and my mom hasn't changed. I mean, of course, it's been, she's grown like every person grows, you know, on their journey in, 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 in three years. But these major things that I was adamant about, like, no no, we haven't been to therapy together. We haven't talked through or worked through old traumas. Like we haven't done any of that. So what changed is me, right? I was able to heal within myself and work on that painful stuff on my end. And that took me to a place where I now feel steady and safe and able to function in that relationship again. So I guess that just ties back into the other questions around how we how do we make another person change you know well, we we can't we change we work on ourselves we do the work we keep focusing on what's within our reach and what we can control and that is us and meeting our needs and taking care of ourselves that's the biggest one just taking care of ourselves and trusting i trust that now that if i would ever get to a place in this relationship where i suddenly feel ooh I can't take care of myself here anymore. I'm not feeling safe here anymore. Oh, this is not right for me here anymore. I trust myself enough that I'll know, right? That I will know the moment that happens, if that were to happen. And then I can take action and change for me, you know. So I, uh, oh, best of luck on this big, big, big journey. This is the the journey of a lifetime. It It definitely is. Hi Rachel, my name's Ruby and I just wanted to ask you um, for any advice or thoughts on how to find kind of joy and purpose in your work and how to get back into work after having a baby. Um, I've got a nine-week-old, it's my first baby, I'm very happy and loving the experience um, but feeling anxious about 
finding new work and going back and what that's going to look like for me. Um, and I also was wondering if you believe that everyone can achieve big dreams in their life, regardless of their situation. I realize that's a massive question. <laughs> Thank you so much um, for everything. Bye-bye. Hi, and congratulations on your little one, nine-week-old. Wow. Wow. Well, first of all, I want to just take a moment to honor you for where you are in your life right now. Having a nine-week-old, you just had a baby. (laughs) And you are in the middle of the most, like the biggest upheaval you know, that that life really can bring us this phase right after having given birth, especially your first one. I mean, this is a, a big, big time in your life. And I know that feeling of feeling a little bit lost, especially after becoming a new mom, of feeling like our the identity has almost been taken away because that that's that's really what happens especially the time right after birth it's like we've given our whole lives away almost to another being you spent all this time the better part of a year growing a human being in your own body and now you know i don't know if you're nursing or not but just like we're we're giving them we're giving them everything we do and it's part of it's part of the beauty and it's part of the magic of motherhood is is that big automatic selflessness that we feel for our children that literally like I'll give you my body like I'll give you my whole life my time my sleep my everything my identity like this is just you know this is who I am now and after a while when we start kind of coming back to the world a little bit we I think it's really common that we we don't know who we are and we feel like just like this is it now. Now I'm just mom. I'm just someone who's just boobs at the at the helm, at the ready at any moment of the day. And sleep is taken away and normal routine is taken away. And all the other identities that we used to hold get taken away. And for some, it's just, you know, for some time and then something to adjust back to. But for a lot of people, it's it's kind of for good. And whatever that identity was, you know, if we're not seeing our friends the same, that's gone. Um, Work, whatever identity we held there, like this, I'm a person who does this and this important stuff and I feel purposeful in my area and I'm, you know, here's my career, like all of that kind of, kind of goes. And even if it's temporary and we have all intention of just, I'm going to get back to that as soon as I can, I just want to take a moment to hold you in this space that you're in right now which is this very fragile vulnerable place in your life and it's so hard it's so hard it can be so lonely it can be so 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 lonely to be there you know the one alone up at night with a newborn spending all day at home like it can be so 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 lonely and at the same time we immediately get these messages from the world and social media and from people in our lives to get back to it, you know, to get back on track, to get back to work, to get back to this. And of course, it comes with this inevitable, well, what is that going to be? And how am I going to get to that? And 
I think there is a difference between arriving at a place of excitement and like I feel so just motivated and ready to take take on this other role now, you know, to to walk down this path where I can get to my career or get to my day to day and find meaningful work. And I feel inspired and motivated to do that because I, I want to come back to myself in that way. Like that is one thing. But then there's the other thing, which I think happens to a lot of us, especially at that kind of early time where we feel like we should, like we have to, you know, because look at everybody doing it. Look at everybody on social media popping out a baby and then they're like holding a keynote speech the next month, (laughs) you know, or like, uh, you know, all the entrepreneurs working from home with a baby on the boob and just like shooting away emails and building a brand. Like we, we see it everywhere. It's very can be very inspirational and exciting to watch, but it can also make you feel so much lesser than and not good enough. And like, there's this pressure and a rush now to go make something of yourself. While we, you know, it's so important that we don't lose sight of, you just made a human by yourself. (laughs) And at nine weeks, you're still healing. I mean, you're postpartum for, for the rest of your life. But at this stage, it's like our everything is still in a complete, soft, raw, healing place. And that includes our bodies, it includes our hearts, it includes our minds, our relationships get different and weird, like so much changes and we are in such a fragile place. And I don't, I don't want to speak for you because maybe you just feel motivated and ready and like, let's go, you know. But for me, I felt so alone. And I felt so much pressure that I had to just leave that space because that wasn't good enough. It wasn't okay for me to just be fragile and, and, and vulnerable and raw. And like, you know, I didn't give myself time to, to, to be with myself and to heal fully, not just heal from the physical part of labor and pregnancy, but to really heal spiritually, emotionally from this massive life shift. Like my life would never be the same again. Everything I knew before basically was gone. Here's a brand new life, brand new human being that you're in charge of for the rest of your life. Like it's all new and there is a a mourning there, like a grief there, a big transition that I find is just a deep, deep, deep emotional, spiritual journey that so many of us miss because we have to get back to it. You know, we got to go and do the career thing or be a girl boss or you know like all of that and I just wish I had given myself more space more grace more kindness that I spent more weeks in bed letting people take care of me um, that I asked for help more you know that I yeah that I gave myself just a little more grace and kindness because it's a massive massive place to be in so I just, I want to make sure that, that you give yourself that and that this feeling of, you know, getting back to work, that it comes from a place that is well-timed and true. And if it is, you know, and if, if it is, that's awesome. You know, if it is, and that's where you are, then of course, that's the path you should go down. I just think for most of us, we, we rush that, you know, we, we do. And of course, it's not the same, like living in Sweden here, 
like here compared to the rest of the world around maternity leave and paternity leave. You really get more grace here. I look at my friends that have had babies here. You have so much time, but even just having the time to not have to get back, um, it doesn't change that inner rush. Like everyone is just kind of immediately, you know, get back to the old body, get back to the old job, get back to the old purpose. There's a harshness there, a pressure there that I that I wish wasn't, that I wish we could we could just soften away from a little bit. So there's, of course, a difference between I have to get back to work now because I have to pay bills, yeah, versus I feel pressure to build a career now, nine weeks postpartum, and I have to find my purpose. <laughs> I think that's a... Finding our purpose around work is a massive, massive, I mean, I don't know if it's helpful or harmful, this idea that we all have a life purpose and we're supposed to express it in our working lives. I think it, it can be really harmful for, because most people haven't found that, you know, that kind of unicorn idea of an epiphany one day of, ah, this is what I'm meant to do for the rest of my life. I don't believe in that. And especially if we are in a place of great healing and great transition, some a more helpful question I think to ask is, where do I feel purposeful? You know, in which areas or responsibilities or tasks or where do I feel purposeful? Where do I feel like I fill a purpose? What lights me up, you know, when I engage in that? What which kind of people do I want to spend time with, with rather than just what is my single one life purpose that I'm supposed to find and make a career of? Because it's it's a lot. It's a lot to ask of anyone, but it's especially a lot to ask of someone who's nine weeks postpartum. <laughs> so just, you know, if you can, just be extra kind to yourself and go a little bit, I think, smaller in the question. Because it's also, especially if you're in that day-to-day -day of just tending to a newborn, it's like, how, how do I feel purposeful in this one day, you know? And maybe starting to carve out a path or the idea of a path from that place. And maybe the timing just isn't now. And what we should be focusing on is just healing, you know, letting ourselves heal, meeting our own needs, adjusting to this big, big, big shift, and trusting that that feeling of purposefulness is going to come. And we don't, and I know people tell us this, we need to have it all. It is exhausting to have it all. <laughs> I tried really hard to have it all, to have the career, to have the success, to have the fame, to have the money, to have the motherhood, to have the friendships, to have the great marriage, to have this, to have that. Something has to go you know, and what the one single thing that made me feel the most purposeful was mothering my daughter. And I missed out on a lot of that in the first year of her life because I was so busy with the idea of I have to fulfill this other identity of being an entrepreneur. I have to, I have to keep this hat on. I have to do this. I have to stay engaged with all of these commitments when really what I felt was the most purposeful thing would have been to just stay home with my baby. And of course, I can't change that. I also don't believe in regrets. Like every single step took, took us exactly where we were supposed to go. And I was 
super privileged just being able to work for myself. So, you know, going home between classes and keeping her with me for all the big things we were doing, it was a big blessing, but it was a massive stress. And looking back, I wish, I wish I would have done the regular, just, hey, I'm on maternity leave now. The thought didn't cross my mind to go on maternity leave. (laughs) And that's just probably what I needed more than anything else. So I don't know if this is helpful or if this was just a long ramble, but just so proud of you for having done this, you know, don't let anybody minimize this massive, massive thing that you are in the middle of right now. It is huge. And you're going to look back at this time and go, whoa, wow, I can't believe I did that. can't believe like I lived through that time. It's a crazy time. So be kind, my darling, be kind. Okay, I'm going to take one last question. Hi, I was I was just wondering what advice you would have for someone who can't necessarily move to a place with a lot of land, but still wants to grow some of their own food or be a little more like holistic and not always go to the grocery store. I personally live in Florida um, on a canal and it's just kind of hard to find the space. So what advice would you have for someone? Hi. Oh, this is a great question. And I think this is this is fun to, to explore and get into. So first of all, if you want to grow some food, I don't know how much space you have, but there are genius ways to maximize a small space. I would look into permaculture design. Um, and there's ways to Really, I mean, you, you can find designs online of how to do the landscaping and the layout of a tiny little garden to really maximize the yield of things that you eat a lot of. There are ways to grow things vertically. So there are plants that are really great for vertical growing where they don't take up any space, basically, of the horizontal space of the actual big area of the land or the main area of the land that you have. But climbing plants, things like beans and peas and even tomatoes and cucumbers and things like that where you can actually grow up and it doesn't take the space that you need. So with trellises or structures that you can build. Um, But what I would really, really, really focus on is maybe looking at your budget. I don't know if if you have that for your family, but looking at where your money goes at the grocery store. When it comes to vegetables, when it comes to fruits, berries, I mean, Florida, I'm sure you can grow a wide variety of amazing things. But where do you actually spend your money? What are you actually spending money on? You know, if your family is like a huge potato family or your family is a massive, um, you're eating broccoli all the time. Like I'm sure just as us, like we have certain things that we come back to again and again because we love to eat it or it's delicious or because of high nutritional content. So I would focus on growing those things first. And when you really look at it, we, we often think we need so much land. We, we actually really don't. So when it comes to just growing the things that we normally eat on a regular basis, that generally isn't that much stuff. Um, so I would identify that and then compare that with what actually is easy to grow here and focus on that. You know, like for us, and I made this decision fairly, 
yeah, almost right away when we moved to Sweden. We are a really big potato family. <laughs> I think most Swedish people are like we grew up on potatoes, but we're just really big on potatoes. We eat a lot of potatoes. We spend a lot of money buying organic potatoes at the store. And potatoes is one of those things that are they're just really, really easy to grow. You can grow them in a really long season here as well. You can even grow them indoors. There's a lot of creative ways where you can keep growing potatoes almost, yeah, pretty much all year round. So I decided to invest a lot of the space that we have in potatoes, you know. But potatoes aren't, they're not the most expensive crop. You know, there are other things that are way more expensive that maybe you would rather grow just to save the money from going to the store. But just finding that balance between what do we actually eat, where is our money actually spent, and what is actually possible to grow here. And then creating the layout for that. And then, you know, I really would love to be self-sufficient. We are very far away from being that now, but it's a dream that I have. And still, there are things that I know, like we will never be able to grow. Rice, like we love to eat rice in this family. We're never in a million years going to grow, be able to grow rice in Sweden. So there are things that are not possible to grow here. And then there are things that just don't make sense to grow here, that just take a lot of water or heating or tons of work. One of the things I decided I'm probably not even going to grow next year unless we have a really great greenhouse is peppers. I spent so much time this season on peppers and they are so much work and they yielded so little. It's just too cold here. Like they were just beginning to ripen when it got too cold for them to stay in the garden. <laughs> so, And I planted them so early. So certain things like that where you can just make the decision of, okay, this makes more sense for me to get at the store or buy elsewhere, right? So just decide what you want to grow and then start doing that. Start small. Even if you have a small space, begin with one garden bed or something, you know, or like a little herbal corner. Just start small, start with something and get used to just the practice of tending to a little garden. And then as you expand, I promise you, you can get really creative with a really small space. There's super cool YouTube videos you can find of people who just have a tiny little balcony living in a city of how much they're able to grow in that tiny space. But you got to get a little creative. So it's possible. But the number one, and I think the more important thing even, um, is sourcing, figuring out where in your local area can you actually source foods grown regeneratively, you know, sourced in the most sustainable way. And that is not going to be the grocery store. It's just not. So where are the farmers markets at? <laughs> I'm sure there are some most places have at least something some places, especially in the US have like an abundance of little markets that pop up everywhere. I'm sure you have something nearby. And just starting to explore there. A farmer's market is a really great place to start because you can actually talk to sometimes the farmers themselves that might be there selling their crops and their goods or talking to the people who are the in-between person. Like, where is this from? What is actually local? Like, we had a, we have a little market here close to where I live where they sell the same stuff at the grocery store. It's it's not a difference. It looks really cute because it's outside and it's put on these, you know, it's like a little farmer's market thing. 
But it's not from a farm close by. It's not like, you know, they're the same people standing there selling. It's just like a little market, you know, so it's not actually a difference. We have to ask the people. We have to do our research. We have to kind of follow the path of, okay, here's this pepper in my hand. Who planted that seed and where? And then what kind of soil? And like, who tended to this? Where is it growing? So... Of course, finding a great farmer's market where it's real and genuine, which I find most places are. I don't know why this single one here. It's not often that it's there. It's it's just out for like Easter and Christmas and stuff. But most of them should be good. And you can actually talk to the people there who are in charge. And then doing the research. What is available in my local area? Is there a small farm nearby where I can source dairy, for example? In so many places, there are and there is. We just have to do the research to find them. And so many of them take visitors, love to have people visit and buy directly from them, where you can establish relationships and then you do that on a regular basis. So it would be instead of going to the grocery store to buy whatever, you know, butter and things that you're buying a couple times a week, maybe you go once every two weeks or you go once a month and you buy your butter and then you freeze it and you use what you need. It's just kind of a, a shift in lifestyle. You know, I am sourcing now, I'm really looking into where can I find wheat, organic wheat grown small scale so I can mill my own flour rather than buying the bags of flour because I have a hard time finding something that's really, really, really good. So you don't have to, you choose how deep you want to go. But for me, it's more about elim eliminating as many of the middle people as possible so I can go straight to the source because that's the only way I'm going to know if I'm going to be eating dairy I want to know how those cows are doing I want to see them I would love to have a relationship with the person who's actually milking them I would like to yeah minimize the many 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 steps in between that keeps me disconnected from that food and disconnected from any harm that came along the way um, and same goes if you're sourcing, you know, fish or eggs or meat, fruits, vegetables, we can form relationships in as many areas as possible. And you might find that certain things aren't available at all. And then you know, hey, my best possible option is to go to Whole Foods and buy from this brand because I did that research online. Like that's the best option available for me um, in this specific area. But maybe in this area here, I have an abundance of options and there's great places to go source what I need. And also now there's a lot of delivery services. Just Googling can go a really far way where there is um, there's a really sweet one here in Sweden where they deliver organic fruits that are much better than what you can find at the grocery store and that are sourced in a much more sustainable way. And the price isn't even that different, that, that different. It's like a $15 shift just from having that delivered to your house compared to going to the grocery store. And for me, that's... Yeah, that's really, really worth it. So uh, yeah, just kind of dive down the rabbit hole and start doing the research. And what you're going to find is also knowing the people that are growing the food that you're eating, that makes a difference. It does in taste and energy and joy in forming these relationships. I think it takes us back to something that's more natural versus buying from a corporation that's bought something from a massive factory farm type of place. There's something really beautiful and human about having relationships with the people who are growing the food that we eat. I mean, that's a, a really beautiful thing if we can make that happen. 
And just starting to think in this way and having these conversations, I think, is a beautiful place to start. I want to thank you all for asking such beautiful questions this week. I feel like all the questions were really aligned and really uh, connected somehow. Thank you so much for being here. The Yoga Girl podcast will be back next week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes of the Yoga Girl podcast, Conversations from the Heart. This was a presentation of Cadence 13 Studio, and I'll see you next week.